Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good day to you wherever you are listening. My name is Vinny Hankey, and you're listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We're continuing our series entitled Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, where we explore the themes and modern-day connections of the Heidelberg Catechism. Once again, I'm here with Jeff Lennington, lead pastor of Generations Church. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. How are you? Doing well, brother. How are you today? I'm good, man. I'm excited to get into day two of the Heidelberg Catechism. So if you have been following along and you have heard our first two posts, our first two podcasts on the Heidelberg Catechism, we've introduced the Catechism to you and we've worked through the first day or the first week's worth of information. So this will be week two or Lord's Day two is how it's broken out in the Heidelberg Catechism. And this one has three questions and answers. And so again, we're doing this like a father would train his son. And so uh, I'm going to ask the questions, and, and Pastor Vinny is going to answer them as if uh, he has memorized them. This is what he's done, and uh, Vinny has done this with his kids. And so this is how it sounds. So Lord's Day 2 covers questions 3, 4, and 5, so three questions. Here's the first question. How do you come to know your misery? Answer, from the law of God. So if you've been following along, I just want to pause for a second, and you listen, you thought, man, I don't, I'm not good at memorizing. I'm not good at this. Seriously, here's the question. How do you come to know your misery? Vinny, the answer is... From the law of God. We've got six words in the original. I think Vinny has shortened it to five, right? From yep. the law of God. There we go. So if you can't memorize five words... Uh, oh, let me rephrase that. You can memorize five words for sure, right? This isn't hard to do. So now we've asked, okay, how do you come to know your misery? You, you learn of that from the law of God. The second question on day two is, what does God's law require of us? Answer, Christ teaches us this in summary in Matthew 22. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So now I know I, I, I said you could memorize this, and the first one was fairly short. Again, six words in the original, five in that version. And there, there are different versions of this in updated English and whatever. Uh, but let me encourage you, this answer, though it's a little bit longer, is directly out of the Bible. With the exception of Christ teaches us this in summary in Matthew 22, it is an absolute quote of Matthew 22 where it says this, and he, meaning Jesus, said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So now we've asked you to memorize six words and two Bible verses. Right? And so this is not as hard to do as some might think. It's directly out of Scripture in many cases. And so I'll give you this. Third question for Lord's Day 2. Can you live up to all this perfectly? Answer, no, for I am by nature prone to hate God and my neighbor. Woo, that's a strong sentence. We'll get to that one last. Uh, do we really truly hate God and hate our neighbor? We'll answer that one last. So let's, let's back up. So where do we learn of what is right and wrong? Is this a subjective thing? Right, we connect that right to the law of God. It gives us something that is a standard of truth that exists outside of ourselves. Outside of that, each person is left to their own moral compass, which can be a scary thing. Yeah, absolutely. 
When I think of our culture today, I, I, there's the term moral relativism, uh, or in, a, in simple terms, we hear people say, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And I always, when I hear that, I kind of chuckle like, that breaks down on itself pretty quickly, right? I mean, math is simple, you know, one plus one is two, no matter what, if you believe it or not, it's still true. Like, truth is still true. And then if you say, well, yeah, but that's not moral law, that's math, that's science, that's something else. So I say, okay, well, then who's to say murder is wrong? Because if I say, well, it's wrong to you, but it's not wrong to me. Like, we have to have something that we go to, like you said, something outside of us. And so as followers of Jesus, we go to Scripture. When it says the law, yes, it means something larger, but the simplest form of the law, which the Heidelberg Catechism will cover soon, is the Ten Commandments. Right? So how are we to know how far, how wrong we've been? How are we to know if we are separated from God? How do we know, in a simple term, sinful? Well, we learn that by the law of God, or the Ten Commandments. Have we kept the Ten Commandments? Right. I think one of the, the great things the Catechism touches on in this question is ultimately the purpose of God's law, that the purpose of God's law was never meant to be a field guide for obedience, right. but it was actually meant to, to reveal our weakness, to reveal our need, like we talked about in episode two, getting to know our misery, getting to know our deep need. That's the purpose of the law of God. It was never meant to right. give us a, a field guide for um, how to earn our way into God's approval or, or God's affections. Yeah, and that's, and that's really a good um, a tie between question one, two, and three. So how are we to know, well, it says then we are to know that through the, through the law. How do, how do we come to know of our misery? The law of God tells me. So maybe uh, in our heads we might think, well, then if I obey the Ten Commandments, well, then I'm okay. Then I don't need a Savior, right? Yeah. And so the, with, before it allows us, before the Catechism allows us to drift too far from truth, it then in the third question says, well, can I obey this perfectly? And the answer is no. Right. Right? We'll get there in just a minute. But I think of this when I think of how do I know my misery? How do I know my sin? How do I know the depth of my need for a Savior? Um, I, when we were preparing for this, a recent time I spent with a married couple uh, just came to mind. And I, I was sitting with a husband and a wife, and one of them had been unfaithful. Hmm. They had met with a counselor over a season of time, and they had confessed what was going on. Uh, and, I, and I'll say this, whenever a, a man and a wife come for counseling, both people have sin, both people have problems, no one's perfect. In this case, that's actually true. Both people, not perfect. They both bring their own sin to the relationship. But there was a controlling sin for sure that was driving this marriage apart. And it was that uh, one of them was being unfaithful to the other. So they'd been meeting with a counselor over a period of time. We have a biblical counselor at the church. And uh, that counselor invited me into this conversation, said, I think it's time for you to step in and have a conversation with them. And the reason was, was that the party of... Uh, the one party that was guilty of infidelity, guilty of being unfaithful to the other spouse, was unwilling to change. Mm-hmm. And so when I sat down with him, uh, ultimately we got to this place where we were talking about what was going on and we were talking about what was happening, and they were honest and admitted what was, to what was going on. At least they were you know, honest enough to admit that enough was going on, that this was the barrier. There came a time where it's just I had to look and say, are you willing to stop? Hmm. When the answer became no, there's nothing we can do. Right. Right? There's nothing we can really do if someone is not willing to change the bad behavior that they're in. Right. To come to the acknowledgement of their need. Right? Yeah. 
to look to the law of God as a mirror uh, and be ref- and really face the reflection that it provides us. I mean, as we get into the catechism, when we get into the Ten Commandments, we're going to really deal with the way the catechism helps us understand what God's purpose was in those commandments right. and really how deep they go. It was never about kind of a, an outside moral action. It's really an internal heart condition. And that's right. what you're dealing with in, in the case in the marriage counseling is it's not the outward action of infidelity. It's the inward heart condition toward her spouse that is the root of all of that. Right. right. And so in this case, uh, the, the, the actual activity that was going on was bad enough, but the heart, yeah. the heart of being unwilling to change uh, reveals a lot about our own hearts. And so, obviously, as we've both said, the, the catechism is going to get into the Ten Commandments. Before it does that, basically what happens is, uh, what does law, God, the, second, the second question today is, what does God's law require of us? And then it says that Christ teaches us in a, as a summary of the law in Matthew 22. And then it quotes a really well-known verse, that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, right? That you're also to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, Really, as a starting point, it says, listen, this is how you know if you are living the way God created you to live, that your whole being is given to loving God and you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, I don't think there's anybody listening right now that would say, uh, you know, I don't, uh, you know I, I don't fail at loving God all day long. I don't fail at loving other people like I love myself. We might look at the Ten Commandments and we might say, well, I haven't murdered, you know, I haven't cheated, I haven't stole, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. But when Jesus sums it up and says, listen, you are to love God with every fiber of your being. And then you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Can you imagine anyone saying, yep, I do that? Yeah, no, I think that's one of the unique things about the Catechism, the way it uses that passage of Jesus. I mean, so often today, particularly in our modern culture of, of church, uh, we use that passage as a leaping off point, something we call mm. people to. Uh, but the catechism says, no, actually, this is the standard by which we, we can't meet. It, it, it's, it's something that we can look at, examine, and be humbled by it, right. not, be, not, not aspire to it, but use it to recognize our dependent upon the grace of God where we fail in those areas. So the entire portion, uh, this first section, starting with this Lord's Day 2, This section is given over to, we've nicknamed it guilt, Guilt, right? right? So guilt, grace, and gratitude are the three categories. Guilt is understanding our need for a Savior, understanding the depth of our sin. And so the idea is never to give us rules to obey, right? As Paul says this about the law, anyhow, in the New Testament, he writes this in Romans, he says, the intention of the law wasn't to give you things to obey or to say, if you do this, you're good. It was just to point out your flaws, Right? So when we hear, love God with all your heart, love your neighbors yourself, that should immediately show us our flaws. When I think of my neighbor and their well-being or what they want or their comfort over my own comfort, of course, I'm selfish. I have one neighbor on one side who's got dogs that bark all the time, and I'm really, I really struggle to try and keep my dogs to not be barking dogs, right? And uh, I do that for my neighbors. I also do it for my own. I don't want to hear them bark, right? But when I hear my, my neighbor's dog bark... I. I wish that they did better. But when I do that, what I'm really revealing is a selfishness inside myself. If I truly love my neighbor as myself, their flaws or their problems wouldn't bother me. I would strive to fix my own, but I would be loving and gracious about theirs. And so immediately in a silly thing like dogs barking next door, I see my flaws. I see my selfishness. 
I think as we make connections to this Lord's day doesn't exist in a vacuum, Mm. like this knowledge of knowing our misery or knowing my guilt is ultimately connected back to Lord's day one, where we get into what is my only true comfort. I can never be comforted if I don't acknowledge my own need or acknowledge my own guilt or acknowledge my own misery. And so part of this exists in this chain together where we really got to face the bad news so that the good news can become great news. Right, right. That's good. So if we go at this without trying to say, okay, if I do this, then I am a good person. All right. If we go at this with saying, listen, I'm not a good person to begin with. I'm a flawed person. I'm a sinful person. I'm a corrupt person, right? That's the intention. That should drive us to have a desire or a need for a savior. And so now we're not, we're not yet to the grace part. We're not yet to the, we're not right to the part where Jesus comes and rescues us from our misery. We're in that place of wanting to understand why I need a savior. Mm-hmm. And so I love this. I'm going to ask you this third question again so uh, our hearers can, can listen to it again. So as I get to this third question, I'm asking you, Vinny, can you live up to all this perfectly? And the answer reads, no, for I am by nature prone to hate God and my neighbor. So when you're hearing this, you're like, wow, I don't, I've never hated God, or I've never, maybe, maybe you've never hated your neighbor, right? And so you've got to understand this in the context of this. We, in our Western American modern culture, we have a tendency to believe that everyone is good, right? That everyone is good and wants to be a good person. And that language is used in the church and outside the church. Um, and I, I know that the, the Heidelberg will help clean that up, that we will have a better theology of who human beings are from birth. See, to love someone is to give yourself to them. To love God is to give yourself fully to God. It's not part way to God. It's not, you know, it's part to God, part to my wife, part to my kids. It's to love God fully. It's, it's like that marriage, right? When we say I do, when we get married, we are committed to loving them in a unique way, our spouse in a unique way, only them, anything else. So to be unfaithful to that spouse is really, truly to hate that spouse. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, if I, I was cheated on, I, I would yeah. feel like, man, how much does my wife have to hate me right. to hurt me this bad? Yeah. I think... Again, when we look at God's law, we're, we're talking about objective truth. So we're no longer talking about subjective feelings right. or this idea that, well, sure, I can love multiple people multiple ways. Um, no, no, objective truth, God's law uh, tells us that the object of our affection receives all our whole self with nothing held back, right? Loving right. God with all of my soul, mind, heart, strength. That, that's, that's the whole embodiment of it. And so anything less than that uh, isn't, well, I can give God 25% of my love and, and my idols 75%. No, no. Mm. God is 100% or nothing. Right. That's, right. that's the standard. To truly say that I love God means that I love him wholeheartedly, whole self, with everything that I have. Yeah. And so we're starting out with, now, where do we figure this out? Okay, well, we go to God's word. We go to God's word to figure out what is truth. So we are uh, a people who believe that the word of God is inerrant, that God has supernaturally, miraculously kept his word together without error. And so that he has given it to us, so it's perfect for us today. So that it is everything we need for our faith and for our life, that we can derive truth from it, absolute truth that will not change over time. And so we get that. And then Jesus summarizes, okay, well, how do I, how do I measure up to that truth? Well, here's your metric. Fully love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So he qualifies it. The way I love myself, I have to love my neighbor. 
right? And so I have to love God the way God has prescribed that I love God fully with like no one else. Not like my wife, not like my kids, like no one else. I'm to love God. And then I'm to love my neighbor the way I love myself. That's our definition. And then it says, okay, so can you do this? And the answer is no, I'm prone to hate God and my neighbor. So by doing so, we have to think of the the grievous error of not loving someone the way they deserve to be loved. Not loving God the way God deserves our love is to hate God. It's like marrying someone and being repeatedly unfaithful and causing them that pain and and that enduring, long-suffering pain that uh, a long-term relationship with infidelity in it right? That, that over and over where the pain is just constantly there. How much do we have to hate God or hate our neighbor? Like how, how much, right, in order to do those things? And so that, that vivid, stark image is there for us to understand what it looks like when we do not honor God. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of, one of the, to, in addition to knowing our misery, I think one of the things this allows us to is, is it gives us the freedom to release ourselves from the pressure of being perfect. Mm. Like right up front, I can admit I don't do everything God wants me to do. I don't do everything that my neighbor uh, requires to be loved. I can admit and just kind of release myself from the pressure of saying I need to be perfect. No, the law of God tells me I can't be perfect. Right. And in that, I'm released from all kinds of religious pressure and, and, and this idea that I have to live up to some standard. I can admit I have not lived up to the standard. And even in that, acknowledging my misery, there's an element of comfort in that. Yeah. That I am miserable. I can acknowledge that. I don't have to fake it. Right. And so that would be, that'd be horrible. If I was just to realize I am miserable, I am wretched, I am sinful, I am broken beyond my ability to be repaired uh, and above my own power. I can't fix this, right? As Paul says, that we are dead in our sins, not sick, not dying, dead, right? Mm-hmm. And, and as I've often joked when I've taught that passage, what can dead people do? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> yeah. right? So you can do nothing about this. Well, that would be a horrible place if there wasn't an answer. And I don't want to fast forward to the grace part, but we know that that answer comes through Christ. Yeah. So we're wrestling today with the idea, <clears throat> we're wrestling with the concept that people are naturally good people. Well, the Bible is antithetical. The Bible says the exact opposite. So when the catechism say, no, I'm, I'm prone to hating God and, and my neighbor, I want you to hear the strength. I want our listeners to hear the strength of how God speaks about people in their what we call the unregenerate state or the state apart from Jesus, Christ. apart from the Holy Spirit, making them alive in Christ. And I just want to read a, a passage out of Romans as we wrap this up. And it says this, Paul writes this, explaining the death of our sin. He says this in Romans 3, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps or snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So if you were to read that that passage from Paul, which is really a collection of about 27 verses in the Old Testament, he sandwiches into a few verses in Romans. And you were to say, now, are are people by nature good people? What would you say? According to Paul's words, no. No, sir. I mean, there's, there's no room. There's no window there. He drops the hammer. 
uh, right. on the human condition apart from Christ. So I want to I want to pause today. I want to end this today on on it's a low note, and we always say this at church. You and I both. No Christian message should ever leave us in shame or misery or guilt without hope, condemnation, that we always have hope in Christ. And so we'll just, we'll just say, listen, as we get there, we will get to the hope. We will get to the salvation. We will get to the grace. We'll get to the mercy. We'll get to the, the brand new life. We, we, in order to get to the resurrection, though, you need to go through the crucifixion and death of Jesus. Yep. First step first. Yeah. So I'm going to leave us here in this this heavy place. And and the part of this that is so important, we would understand our need for a Savior. We wouldn't think too highly of ourselves. Well, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate, again, all your wisdom as we walk through this catechism together. If you're listening, you've been joining us for Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, a journey where we find modern themes and connections to the Hatterberg Catechism and the Generations Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church, G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at Church.